This episode is sponsored by Interactive Brokers. Did you know that Interactive Brokers clients earn up to 4.33% on their uninvested, instantly available cash balances? In fact, you have to wonder, how much interest is your broker able to pay you? Interactive Brokers' prudent and conservative risk management uniquely positions IBKR to pay you far higher interest. That's just one of the many reasons clients use Interactive Brokers to trade stocks, options, futures, currencies, bonds, funds, and more. Rates, of course, are subject to change. Visit IBKR.com slash interest rates to learn more. The Disciplined Investor is all about you, your money, and the markets. Sit back and get ready for this edition of the Disciplined Investor Podcast. This episode of The Disciplined Investor is sponsored by Horowitz & Company. If you're looking for a portfolio manager, look no further. Horowitz & Company, from seed through harvest, cultivating financial success. For 20 day came and went. Wondering, should we make it a national holiday? Taxes done, I hope. In the mail, all finished, out the door. Markets busy digesting earnings and my very interesting meeting with a Fed big shot. All this and much more on episode number 813 of the Disciplined Investor Podcast. TDI podcast, as we call it, the Disciplined Investor stands TDI. When you see TDI, it means the Disciplined Investor. Thanks for coming here. You know, each week we get insights on finance and into areas that hopefully just make us a little bit smarter and a little bit wealthier, right? That's the whole point of what we're doing here, right? We learn, we listen. Um, and also, thank you for joining me each week. And whether it's just me talking and sometimes spewing some craziness, talking about the markets, and digging down on some things that I find very weird and things that we need to understand a little bit better. Or if we have a great guest on and we're learning about things from the areas of whether it's cryptocurrency or the Fed, we learn about understanding valuation of stocks, technology, and the like. So lots that we do here each and every week, and that is all great. Thank you so much. And I want to quickly thank all the people out there all my listeners, all my clients now, everyone who has entrusted us from, especially this, this podcast audience from the community, to helping them manage their investments. And we hope that you understand we're, we're here for you. That's what we do. So if there's ever a time to reach out and see what we can do for you, if you're not working with us yet, just go over to TDI.com or as I call it. Actually, don't go to TDI. Go to the disciplinedinvestor.com. TDI.com, I don't think it exists. TheDisciplinedInvestor.com. And there's a contact us area on there. You could see plenty of ways to get together. Let's set up a time to talk. Let's set up a time to see what's going on. But seriously, thank you for the faith that you've shown us. The greatest compliment in this business is what you tell us all the time and, 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 and the entrustment of your hard-earned wealth, wealth for now and the future, that says, that says something. So it means a lot. Now, last week, Frank Kersey was on the show. And if you remember, he brought up the idea of 
other countries working really hard, very, very hard, on the idea of replacing the U.S. dollar as the form of the reserve currency of the world. That was the premise, and I was scratching my head saying, Frank, I don't understand. He said, just bear with me. Just, just hear me out. And I did. We all listened. And Frank has been busy, as a matter of fact, this week as well on Twitter talking about how the various countries around the world are doing what they can, whether it's uh, China and Brazil and India, plenty of other major economic names are trying to figure out where they stand in all this. And as we know, I mean, come on, the other countries out in the world are not so happy, or maybe I shouldn't say happy. They prefer something different than the U.S. being the reserve currency. And, and, and if you think about it, why shouldn't they? So here we are in mid-April right now. Um, we're thinking about this. We're thinking about what's going on with regard to the U.S. dollar. It's been coming down a bit from where it was and it had to come down. I mean, it was altogether all too high. That was on the speculation of nonstop, continual, ever-going interest rate increases and the U.S. being a much more tighter, hawkish country than the rest of the world and then the realization that, well, maybe that's not going to be the case. And we saw that epic rollover, which has been really good for things like cryptocurrencies and and metals and some commodities, as well as certain areas of the markets. That has been really a strong point of the rally that we saw from, let's say, the end of last year in 2022 through the end of March. We're not going to talk about April right now because it's a mixed bag. But what we saw clearly would end January, that move, and that was promulgated, I think, because of the significant move of the dollar on the downside, right? That was a big driver. It's and so were interest rates. So it was the idea that, well, maybe we're not going to be increasing interest rates forever. But here we are now seeing some of the results after all of this, the idea that the economy is slowing down a bit and interest rates are taking a toll. And as we are in mid-April, earnings season underway, banks have been coming in with some decent numbers. Although between you and me, it's kind of hard to really discern what those numbers are with the banks because they're very crafty. <laughs> I think that's that's something we really all know, right? They have an ability to, they know banking. They know numbers. They know how to make things look. And when you look at what's gone on with their numbers, let's just all agree or maybe at least consider, they are the masters of manipulation. They can hide a skyscraper in plain sight. Now, I wonder why these earnings that they came out and the outlook seemed okay at first blush, but then it was sold off after where you could finally get through some of the information. You understand what's happening. It may, I don't know, may, maybe something I've noticed is with the banks every or many earnings seasons is that the first move is always positive excitement, and we're all, wow, that was great. And it seems to turn. They seem to reverse, like we saw with Goldman Sachs. That moved down about 3 or 4%, climbed up to even the rest of the day. So that first initial move seems to be wrong for banks. We've seen many quarters where banks in total looked like they did very well. The reserves were well, they're well capitalized. Their earnings were good. Everything about what they said and what they did during the quarter was great. And then all of a sudden, 
Four or five days later, everything rolls over. We saw the same thing with Bank of America, just the opposite of what Goldman Sachs did, right? And for the regionals, well, one of the things that's really great is no surprises are being rewarded really nicely. We don't have any kind of weird blow-ups or crazy reserves that have to be put aside or maybe additional little gotchas out there. We saw a few of the regional banks. Matter of fact, the financial index on... What day was it? I think it was Wednesday of last week. Had one of the best days in months and months and months. It goes back way back because we saw Western Regional, a few other banks not have any news. So we settled out. The idea that this was an isolated incident that was being uh, really pushed by Jamie Dimon from J.P. Morgan and other banks, as well as the Fed and the Treasury, well, maybe there's some something to be said about that. I still think that we have to be very careful. One of the things that I believe has happened is that rates have come down dramatically during that whole crisis, and that has helped some of the valuation of the longer-term bonds, and that itself is good. However, if we see that inflation continues up, like we saw in, in England, England, the UK, their, their, uh, their inflation number this week that came out uh, midweek was was 10%. We're seeing surprise increases in other countries as well. If we see here in the U.S. anything but the continuation of this move down from where we were, it's going to be a really difficult moment. And banks themselves are going to get banged again because what's going to happen is all of a sudden, we're going to have a renewed concern that the interest rates rising and the Fed that is going to have to combat a lot of this is going to really hurt the valuations and the problems that were there before due to this, right, are going to resurface. So that's kind of interesting. Apple continues to climb. McDonald's hits an all-time high. Let me say that again. McDonald's hits an all-time high. And we're seeing a few areas of pain. Companies like Netflix and Tesla. What I love so much, by the way, about the Netflix earnings was the initial 10% drop that fully recovered to the opening and then kind of went down from there. But it couldn't hold its head up from there. But I, what I found fascinating was, once again, these companies, these beloved stocks get bid. The Tesla numbers were abominable. Horrible. I don't care if you're a Tesla fan or not. You know you may say, the hell with it. I don't care. I'm buying the stock anyway. Gross margins, awful. And going to get worse because Elon Musk has decided that he's going to end up in a pricing war for one of two reasons. I'm not exactly sure what it is. But what I think is, is interesting is when you look at some of the commentary that's come out recently from many companies, and like, for example, Netflix. Let's, let's go back to that for a second. And what I like so much about that commentary and and the force that came out of it and, and, and the bright spots that was really looked at and the actual numbers and the outlook and then we create a story that boosts their position. This is one of the, this one was all about this, this move back or the pushback, I should say, the, the, the pushback of the password crackdown 
right? The multi-user password crackdown and um, the, the sharing that goes on with that and how we're going to move it back a little bit. We're going we're gonna, to, you know, it's not this quarter, but next quarter. And somehow it was the reason for maybe the loss that would have been not there and made up in the future if they push it back. So therefore, stick with the shares and buy more, right? And, and that's with a stock with multiples that have blown out recently and questions remain about their ad profitability, that ad tier profitability and potential cannibalization over time. A lot of things, a lot of questions, but meanwhile, really didn't act so poorly considering how far it has run up from where it was just a few months ago. Now this week also, or last week, investors spent much of their time contemplating, I guess is the right word, the impact of the latest inflation numbers and the data that's come out along with the first batch of, of quarterly earnings, specifically with the banks, and how that's going to impact them along the way. Because the process of, of disinflation has continued. We know that, right? The idea that inflation is high, but it's coming down a little bit. Still there. Still pricing is going up. And if we had just simply 5% inflationary rate, people would be freaking out if that was just the number. But it's because it is better than what it has been, okay, it looks bad. It looks better. We saw retail sales soften in March. We saw several of the regional manufacturing numbers look pretty pitiful. Uh, I think Philly Fed come in at negative 30 this week. So the process of this disinflation is, is, is going on, and the influence that it could have on interest rate decisions are, are, are really something that people are going to watch, watch the Fed and what they're going to do in, in the several months to come. And this is this is uh, this is all in the backs of probably should have brought this up at the beginning. Uh, the incredible flooding that we had down here in Florida. Now that doesn't really impact the nation, but one of the things that you do see is during these kinds of times when you have massive uh, events, you know, weather events or any other kind of you know earthquakes, tornadoes, things like that. Uh, you know, these are these are interesting times because it's a very difficult time for the insurers, it's a difficult time for the homeowners, it's a difficult time for people that are, are trapped, obviously loss of life and, and health. But more so, what I'm what I'm getting at here is the idea of the loss of property and then the the need to rebuild. Now, sometimes places don't rebuild as much because they're like, the hell with this. Why would I be on a fault line? I'm moving, right? Or why am I gonna be in a flood area? Not happening. But you can do something about a flood area. You can't do anything about a fault line. You could do something about a flood area. You can't really do anything about living at the foot of the volcano, but you could do something about a flood. You could build up. You could build up. Add a lot more dirt. And we flooded pretty well. Uh, the, 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 uh, the rain came down, and it wouldn't stop. And I told you this. On, I sent some pictures and, and some videos on Twitter. You can follow me, Andrew Horowitz, by the way, is the, is the Twitter handle. Uh, but one of the things that happens during this time, you have to remember, it is potentially a rationale for economic boom, particularly with construction, cleanup, uh, you know, utilities, uh, areas, you know, utility to build a house, I should say. Um, the, the idea that you're going to need things, carpets, toilets, vanities, ovens, uh, new front doors, wood, uh, steel, aluminum, um, copper, all these things that go into rebuilding or repairing. And that 
oftentimes creates an economic boom. And not only from the materials themselves that are being utilized, but more so the services. You got the plumbers, the carpenters, right? You have the stores that sell them. You have um, all the things that go in between, the appraisers, everything that goes in. Now, again, it could be very detrimental for insurance companies, but what they'll do is just simply raise their rates or pull out of the area. We've seen that. I, I can't get insurance uh, from a couple of companies on my boat anymore. After what happened last year on the west coast of Florida, the flooding, the storms, they stopped writing in Florida. So I had to find another company. So the flooding, yes, to let you know, yes, in the end, I am fine. I did not get water in my house. It was two feet over the dock. It was pretty spooky. I was chasing down dock boxes and other floating debris in the canals uh, that were getting just ripped loose from my neighbor's houses. I had nothing that, that, that happened to, but it was pretty amazing because what was different about this was how the speed at which this all happened. It just started going, you know, from, from, from three o'clock to six o'clock, it was raining pretty bad and it was ugly from six to eight. It was amazing. The rise from eight to eight 30, another three inches, just, just like filling up a bathtub. It was unbelievable. But fortunately, like I said, no one that I know, you know, got hurt a little bit of uh, water damage here and there. And obviously you have to worry about mold and things of that nature. Office was good. You know, we're on the second floor, so that's good. Uh, but, but generally speaking, it was pretty amazing. One of the things that we have to put in the equation now is what will be the ramifications regulatorily, uh, legislatively on what's going to happen. Because now, of course, now everybody gets involved and freaks out about, oh, my God, we're not building up the code and we need to change things. And once again, that could create an economic benefit for certain areas in the area of construction, et cetera. And speaking of that, I looked last week at a couple of different stocks. You know, you look at a stock like um, Lennar and you look at D.R. Horton. Um, th these are, are, are companies that are the best in the industry in terms of new housing and housing. D.R. Horton hitting an all-time high, even with interest rates as high as they are. The demand is still there. Lennar flying high, doing great. All the home builders really in great, great, great shape and and probably define the logic of most people thinking about what should be happening with the home builders. Why in the world, in a time when interest rates have doubled and tripled recently, are home builders doing well? And there's a lot of reasons. It could be due to the fact that there is a significant amount of, of interest because there's still a low level of overall inventory out there. That is what is going on, by the way. And people are saying, you know what, I have cash from the last seller house, I'll buy this house. They may be not using as much of a mortgage. Maybe if they had such appreciation in their own homes, they're buying and going either horizontally to a different area, utilizing cash, or maybe what they're doing is they are utilizing um, you know, uh, uh, mortgages, but at a smaller level because they have some of the cash. So not all cash, partial cash. Something to think about. This week, I also had the opportunity to spend some time with a Fed official. I had a luncheon, a small little group, and, you know, I, I'm, I've been vocally critical of the Fed. There's no question about that. I've been very vocal about, you know, what they've done, the, 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 the misses, the screw-ups, the bad calls. You want to hear about that? You want to hear about the questions I asked him? <laughs> I know you do. 
But let me tell you a few things. Let me take a moment and talk about a couple of things first, and then we'll get to it. We're going to focus on uh, IBKR. Um, and, oh, by the way, did you see the, I saw it, the really interesting interview. That it was a TV interview with Thomas Pettifee. Um, He is the uh, IBKR founder this week. Really smart fellow. Talking about what's going on in the industry and, and what's happening with his firm, but also looking out at around what's happening with, with some of the competitors, where the money's coming from, where it's going to, you know, looking at things like, you know, the Schwab's Fidelities, all these various companies that got hit a bit uh, with, with, with the banking crisis and what's happening with banking. If you have the opportunity, I encourage you to listen to that. But I want to focus on the financial advisors that are listening to the show today. Because I have a question for you. Are you looking to maybe add or switch custodians? Or maybe you're thinking about going independent. Here's what you need to know. Interactive Brokers provides the lowest cost trading and turnkey custody solutions for all size firms. You can trade globally from a single unified platform with no ticket charges, no custody fees, no minimums, and no tech platform or reporting fees. Plus, IBKR has no advisory team or prop trading group to compete with slash against you for your clients. You gain IBKR's free CRM, their portfolio management and trading platform, and the big plus, you get Portfolio Analyst, a tool that consolidates your client's entire portfolio and automate and take care of flexible client billing. Switched to the custody solutions that work for you at ibkr.com slash RIA. And by the way, Interactive Brokers is a member of SIPC. So we're talking about, and I asked you the question, do you want me to tell you about the luncheon I had with a high up former Fed official? In fact, who was it? It was former Vice Chairman Richard Clarita. Clarita, Clarita. Um, and it was a luncheon. It was about, I don't know, 20 people. I think it was on Monday of last week. About 20 people at the attendance, and the headline speaker was this this uh, gent, Rich Clarita. Pimco was there with some of their high-end um, managers from their bond funds. So that was interesting to get that insight. And yes, he was the one, by the way, the Rich Clarita, he was the one that resigned due to the lack of proper financial disclosure from the Fed Last year, something to do with some trading. Or said another way, uh, maybe a little inside, too much inside baseball with knowledge of what the Fed was going to do and made some moves. So I really didn't think about that as uh, we were having lunch and, and we were talking and have this little fireside chat that broke out. They kind of moved a couple of chairs up to the front and uh, there was a gentleman from PIMCO asking some questions and um, he did start I think with a really interesting comment, something about, I think it was about uh, respecting, respecting the sanctity of the Fed, blah, 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 you know, something, something, something. but I think it was really about the idea that once in the Fed, you're always inside the Fed. No telling stories outside of school, right? You know, no telling these stories would happen, which it's pretty obvious for anybody who really spends some time watching the Fed. It was a nice chat. I, I liked it. 
So there was a discussion about the potential for recession, the banking crisis, and all sorts of other matters. And most were talked around on the outskirts about kind of circular discussion there and back. He did say that with most of the Fed right rate hike programs, something breaks along the way. And that's what they've seen historically. When you go out and you start in increasing interest rates pretty significantly, something is bound to be a problem along the way. So this banking issue was, I guess, no surprise. Although you wonder if they knew this, how come they couldn't try to prevent it? I don't know. Then they got in the Q&A. There was a variety of other discussions they had. Then they got the Q&A. So, of course, I raised my hand. I had a few questions. Now, usually, I consider myself nice. Especially when I'm doing interviews, I try to make sure we have good questions. I don't throw softballs. There's no softballs being thrown by me in any of the Q&A, any of my interviews with, with, with people on the show. But I, I try to be tactful, right? I try to, I don't want to throw a heater. I'm not going to throw a softball. So, yeah, you may get an inside fastball every once in a while, but you're not going to get usually something that's going to be a rocket right to your, you know, right to the head or to the leg. There's no reason to make enemies, I figure. So, not so much this time. Because you know I've been really concerned with how the Fed has been doing things for a while. So, I went right for it. And I decided I want to talk about this, this wordsmithing that goes on at the Fed. And I asked if there was actually, this is what I said. I said, is there is there a PR team that is doing some kind of, I don't know, A-B testing with words to figure out which is going to impact the markets and investors the most in a way that's going to sway them to do one thing or another. And I went on and I asked about some of the words and phrases, and I explained and to make sure it was clear, and I direct this right to Clarita, to, to make sure it was clear with what I was talking about. And I talked about, you know, hey, you know, the, these words that were used to push or maybe manipulate all of us, like transitory and dot plots and, and, and anchored. I used anchored. And then I said, and the new one, for example, sound and resilient, that we hear about the banking industry nonstop, and this disinflation discussion. And I specifically focused with him on the word disinflation. And I said that, or I asked, I asked the question, and I, and I asked, I said, why are we using this particular word? Because I don't find it very helpful in this situation. The fact that even with no inflation, everything is going to cost more and we're going to have high prices for a long period of time. This, this idea of, of, of disinflation is really not what we need. We need deflation. But deflation would bring on the idea of, of more Fed loosening or less tightening going on and the ability to, 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 to really have monetary policy open up a lot. The idea, are you using the word disinflation as a substitute somehow? Because you think most people don't understand what the hell it means. Okay, let's let him answer, right? So he started his response with an acknowledgement, actually. It was interesting. He acknowledged the, the idea that there was quite a bit of wordsmithing that actually goes on at the Fed, that there was a need to make sure they use the right terminology and the right words because it goes on the record. It's going to go on the minutes. It's going to go in the conversation. It's going to go in the speeches. And more importantly, it's going to go in the press conferences after the fact. You've seen 
how Powell during the press conferences has that large loose leaf binder that he's going through, just like the press secretary uh, for the president does, right? Well, the same thing is going on with the Fed. They have these words that they're sticking to, and everybody stays by the script for a period of time. So he did acknowledge that there was some of that going on, but trying to say that it was for good reason, which I thought was of interest. There was there was an admission right there that maybe the Fed knows. But again, you know, once on the Fed, always on the Fed. Not going to reveal too much of the secrets or do anything to upset, especially from a vice chair situation, even a former vice chair, the balance of information that goes. And I know... Um, that he knows I wasn't just talking about simple changes to clarify different words. I was talking about finding that word that is vague enough, yet maybe powerful enough to really lead the masses, to nudge, to nudge, to move, to sway, to manipulate. That's what it's all about. Now, as to the word disinflation, really focusing in on that, he provided some, inter- I, I thought it was, it was weak. <laughs> it was definitely a weak answer to the question. It was a vague reference to where the word got its origin in terms of utilizing it in discussions of monetary policy. And he went back to the days of Paul Volcker um, when inflation was you know, going crazy, crazy. And we needed Volcker to come out as the, the inflation buster, which he did and provide a significant amount of dampening of that through not only talk, but action, which is what's happening now as well. But it was all about then. But once again, from there, talked, I would say, in circles about this. And frankly, I was just satisfied that he admitted that there was this clear and present, which I don't think I was surprised, but it was just nice to get that the, the, the affirmation that this is occurring so that we can properly understand what is going on. Now, there's two things that he said. I, I will summarize the rest of this and really bring this to a close because it was two things that that they said, that he said that, that you really, that really stuck with me um, on the impending, in, uh, re, uh, on the impending recession. This idea that there's a recession coming sometime in the future. Very hard to predict, he said, and when and where the point is anyway doesn't really matter. He did say that he knows that we'll probably have a recession, but it's probably going to be mild. I mean, it's probably going to be reasonably mild because of all the benefits we have for things like uh, the employment situation. Um, But then it's going to take two years to resolve. And that's something that's been gnawing at me for a while. What kind of mild recession needs two years to resolve or to uh, come out of? It's like it's like walking through a, a lawn sprinkler for a moment and having to put your clothes in the dryer for like eight hours. Like, we just got a little bit wet. Why do we have to have, dry it out for eight hours? Shouldn't it take like an equivalent amount of time or, or, or even shorter? This idea that we are going to have a two-year period of time to recover 
is, I think, kind of interesting, and it tells a story that we may be in for a little bit of a deeper recession. It may come to a head very quickly, um, and, and the employment is really the standout right now. The other thing that he said I thought was really interesting was asked, somebody asked him a question about, you know, as investors, you know, what should we be listening to? What should we be, what, what should we be watching? What, what, what should we be looking at? Because when it comes to the Fed, it's all very difficult. There's a lot of people talking about a lot of things, a lot of different information, papers, abstracts, um, reports, and data, and just constant flow of information. It's trying to like, if you're really studying this, it's trying to take a sip out of an open fire hydrant as I see it. And, and it really creates a lot of confusion. And it's just, it's, it's, some, it's sometimes disconcerting. It's very difficult. So I thought there was a really good question. Somebody asked, hey, who, what, what, are we look, what are we looking at? What are we listening to? Who are we talking to? Who are we, what, what are we doing? He said two answers. First, one, read the transcripts from the FOMC rate meetings. Read them for yourself and what they're saying. Because what they're saying is what they mean. And second, just focus and listen to Jerome Powell, what he has to say. That is all you need to do. He'll tell you what to do. He'll tell you everything you need to know. Don't worry about it. Those two things, forget about everything else. Forget about all the Fed speakers. Forget about all this and the, the interim moves. What you want to focus in on is the, the, the main message from the minutes themselves that are carefully put together, as well as the commentary and information provided for or from uh, Jay Powell. Okay. I was like, okay, uh, that kind of makes sense. Huh. I find that interesting. Whether I agree or not, it's not the point. They're holding all the purse strings, right? I mean, they got all the money. So I might as well listen to Powell if he's telling me he's doing this or that. And that kind of makes sense. We may fight it. You may find this very repulsive and repugnant, this whole discussion of just focus, but focusing on, on this one commentary that he has. But think about it just for a moment. It does make a lot of sense. Then some time went by. And I started to think and wondering and kind of scratching my chin, can you, can you, you know, rubbing my chin, thinking about this, wondering if this was just a ploy, whether they're putting too much power into the hands of one person and thinking about who is that going to be in the future? What does that look like? And wonder if I can trust this guy at all that basically told me that once in the Fed, always in the Fed, and that we know that they're manipulative and nudging, and maybe this is just another way of doing so. And I think what the Fed has done with all of this has created a lack of credibility. And this, in particular, has happened over the last few years. Their credibility is being cracked constantly, not only because they have poor judgment, and the markets are trying their best to understand, but now we're getting different messaging that's happening. I do like this, and I think this was really key, and I think that it was important to understand that's what he's saying, and if we do want to believe that, I think there's some validity to it, but again, I'll just stay skeptical about that. I think it was pretty interesting when he talked about the banks 
and how, what was his comment about when First Republic needed that $30 billion infusion? Remember that? Where JP Morgan, a bunch of guys said, hey, we're going we're gonna to put money in this bank. And you know what? You know what? We're going to do it in uninsured deposit accounts. Like, wh why are they making a big deal about this? He mentioned the wink and the nod that probably came from the Treasury and from the Fed to the gang over at JP Morgan and Bank of America, whoever else put that $30 billion in. Uh, okay. I, I tell you, I wanted to believe this guy. That one day, who, who knows, maybe he'll be appointed as the Fed chair. Again, this is the guy that resigned earlier due to unsaid financial, what are we going to call it, improprieties? I just have a hard time with it. Let's, let's, uh, let's get to that point. So, uh, again, if he is right, we just listen to Powell. doesn't matter if he's right or wrong. Uh, makes mistakes or not. doesn't matter. Crazy. Crazy, crazy, crazy. Um, all right. I think the, the thing we need to understand, I've talked about this before. I'm going to end this week's discussion with just this point. We're not going to, I don't, I hope I'm not going to bring it up again, but I want you to understand because a lot of people that I've talked to, especially over the years have, have, have asked me, you know what? The markets are rigged. They're manipulated. We just talked about it. I spent 20 minutes talking about how there may be some rigging and manipulation. Remember, I've told you this a thousand times. If the if if you go over to the to the to the casino and you are going to go to, I don't know, the slot machine or maybe a table, but let's talk about the slot machine. And you know that slot machine is rigged in the favor of the player. Are you gonna say, ah, it's rigged? I'm not gonna do it. I'm not playing. No. Play. Stick money in there. Same thing with the markets. If they are rigged, in fact, in favor of the markets moving up and moving higher over time due to a lot of the underpinnings of what is involved with the markets, whether it is mechanical, as we talked about about a year and a half ago, the whole nature of the mechanics behind the market, why there is a proclivity for markets to move higher. The 401ks, the, the, the payroll deductions, the money in on a regular basis from pension plans over and over every time there's a paycheck. Think about that. I want you to think about that. It's really important to recognize that when we are looking at the markets, if they are in fact rigged or manipulated, it's for the purpose of people making money. I'm serious. Now, in between where there are those hiccups, those are also interesting points that you want to protect yourself from. But when you look at that, and if in fact it is, and you have said to yourself, okay, I am not getting involved in this because that damn market, those damn bonds, those banks, those this, the Fed, the government, rigged. I'm not doing it. Where has that gotten you? Seriously, I am pounding the desk right now. Where has it gotten you? I had lunch this week with someone who said to me, you know, Obama. Obama. So what do you mean, Obama? Is this what it's out? Couldn't stand him. When he got into office, I said, there is no way I am leaving my money invested in the stock market. I pulled it out. What year was that? That was years ago, right? I pulled it out. We're talking about what, 2012? Was that what year it was? 2012 and 2016, 2020. Yeah. No, it was maybe 2008. 2008, whatever it was. 2008, 2009. Um, he pulled his money out and he never put it back in. Now, I don't know what 
versus, you know, the other uh, presidents that came in after Obama. I don't think he had a problem with, but it was Obama that he had a specific problem with. He said, I, I took all my money out. I lost all of that upside or I didn't gain all that upside. Oh, okay. Really? So here we are in a situation where he doesn't know how to get back in. So why am I telling you all this about being rigged and manipulated? Because all of you out there that have not gotten back in because of some post-traumatic stress disorder that you got from some market condition, some political situation, from financial condition, from something that went out that was outside your control that you didn't even have any involvement in with, but you don't even want to be involved anymore. You're missing the boat. I am not the uber bull, but you need to be invested. Now, that doesn't mean in stocks necessarily. That means somewhere. And I'm using this last opportunity on the week of April what is this, April 22nd, 23rd, that I'm telling you, this is your, your wake-up call. Do something with your money that is, well, doing something for you. Make your money work as hard for you as you work for it. Does that make sense? If you don't, what's the point? What are you waiting for? You're worried about the next 10% down. Meanwhile, you could have a 20% up and you then come down 10% and like, now we'll invest. Well, you just mi- you just missed out on the full 20. You just got the 10. You just didn't, because it came down and, you, oh, I knew it. Oh, I was right the whole time. Meanwhile, last 100% you didn't get any benefit from. Now, with that in mind, I know markets are nuts for some people. Some people don't look and that's even better. You know, think about that idea. Invest... And then don't look. I mean, keep an eye on it, but don't get crazy about it. Because coming up this week, I mean, we could we could talk the other side of this as well, right? It's it's, it's probably a make or break for markets right now. And I want to say break. I don't mean like absolute total chaos, but there's a lot of of hope that companies are able to absorb costs and and a slowdown in the economy. But this could be the start of a new realization over the next couple of weeks, probably not a couple of three weeks, um, as we get through earnings season that the short-term nature of the higher prices is not so short-term. That the idea that we are living in a world that we have these higher prices, but it's, it's only transitory. It's only going to be for a while because when inflation stops, but that we know that. Because I've talked about this till I'm blue in the face, that once inflation stops, you still have the higher prices that are going to be cemented in pretty darn well. Or as the Fed would say, anchored. So, the destructive you know, abilities of these higher prices for larger companies and longer, higher for longer for larger companies, it, it, it's really something that can be very difficult. And for the small companies as well, because they don't even have a, a way to protect against it. So we as investors need to protect ourselves from this, don't you think? If you've only been investing over the past, I don't know, decade or so, you have no idea what I'm talking about. I mean, no clue. Like, wow, what do you mean? You know, we have a little inflation. It goes away and it comes back, goes away again. And the Fed comes in and they're a savior and all that. That wasn't always the case. That's not how, how this game always ran. That is why we have set our portfolios up to take advantage and to protect at the same time the what if situation. I mean, something you should really consider, right? Are you set up for the what if? But at the same time, being in the game. All right, that's all I have for this week. Sometimes I get a little tense. I apologize for that. (laughs) Um, That's going to do it. 
Hope you enjoyed our, our, our week. I hope you enjoyed your 420 day. Hope you enjoyed your emancipation holiday last Monday. And keep saving and investing. And until next week, I'm out. Thanks for joining me again on this week and every week on The Discipline Invest. Do me a favor. Go over to the iTunes. Go over wherever. Leave a review. Tell your friends. Make sure. Just pop. Hey, I was listening to this guy. He's a little crazy, but I was listening to this guy. Listen to Horowitz. He's got some interesting things to say. Some great guests. Tell your friends for me. Let's expand this, this community and make it as big as possible so we can all get to our level of financial security and financial independence. Thanks so much. Signing off till next week. Nothing discussed in this podcast should be considered a recommendation to buy or sell any security. Past performance is no indication of future results. In addition, the information presented is not intended to be used as a sole basis of any investment decisions, nor should be construed as advice designed to meet the individual needs of any particular investor. Nothing herein constitutes legal, accounting, or tax advice or individually tailored investment advice. Remember, investing involves substantial risk. Past performance is not a guarantee of future results and a loss of original capital may occur. No one receiving or accessing this information should make any investment decision without first consulting his or her own personal financial advisor and conducting his or her own research and due diligence, including carefully reviewing any applicable prospectuses, press releases, reports, and other public filings of the issuer of any securities being considered. Please consider this for educational purposes only. As always, use your best judgment when investing. Horowitz & Company, Inc. is registered as an investment advisor with the state of Florida and conducts business in other states where it is properly registered or is excluded from registration requirements. Registration does not imply any level of skill or training. Advertisements are not related to the host or affiliates and are not considered recommendations by the host of the show or any affiliates of Horowitz & Company. 